pray for you as you come, Tim. Perfect. Thank you, God, for Tim. And thank you for the word that you prepared for him to give to us this morning, Lord. Yes, and I God. pray that we will hear what yes, you have God. to say to each one of us yes, through Tim's voice. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. As uh, Peter's already said, if you don't know me, my name is Tim, uh, also one of the leaders here at the Vine Church. Um, so last week, if you remember, if you were here, I spoke upon uh, the subject of church together and church where we are. And we, uh, we looked at the scripture when Jesus called some of his first disciples and it was with Simon, and he tells Simon to go and to put his nets out again, uh, out on the river, although he didn't have any catch that night. And he had a massive uh, catch of fish when he did what Jesus did. And this whole thing of Jesus says, come and follow me, uh, learn from me, grow. Uh, you are now my disciples, and that is like the church together. And, but also, he used it as a picture for mission. He said, you're going to catch other fish. Uh, that we will shall go out and make disciples. So this whole thing of come and follow me, but go and make disciples, that we are church together, but at the same time we are church where we are. And over the next five weeks, uh, we're going to be going through uh, the trellis booklet. If you haven't got one, there's some out on the back. And these five different areas, the unhurried life, which I'm speaking upon today, uh, disciples of Jesus, community formation, church around a table, and life-giving relationships. You know, as I spoke a couple of weeks ago, uh, a trellis is there to support and to help the vine grow in the right direction. And therefore, the vine will go and bear fruit. And the same way, in our lives, God calls us to have trellises, structures, uh, things that we can adopt so that we will grow as people and as a church and we will bear uh, fruit in our lives. So, as I said, this over the next five weeks, we're going to speak upon these five different areas. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the unhurried life. So let's get straight into it. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. You there? Mark chapter 5, verse. Here we go. It's up here. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, Jairus, Jairus came when he saw Jesus. He fell at his feet. He peed earnestly with him saying, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject of, to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And had spent all, all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his cloak, clothes, I will be healed. 
And immediately her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from all her suffering. Verse 30. At once Jesus realized the power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see, the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. Yet you asked, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus. Jairus, thank you very much. You're not going to forget that name by the end of this sermon. Uh, Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother uh, the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. They came to the home of the synagogue leader. Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all of this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. He went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talaf kom, which means little girl. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. So, there were days when Jesus was a pretty busy fellow. People clamored around Jesus to hear his words of wisdom, to ask for healing. They just wouldn't, wanted to be near him. And wouldn't you, if there was a guy that was in the center of Paul, and he, you knew he would guarantee that if you went near him or you spoke to him, you would get words of wisdom or you could be healed. You would go to the central pool and you would want to listen to this guy. You would want to touch him maybe because you would be healed. And this happened to Jesus. And one day he was making his way uh, through the crowds. And this local synagogue official... A man named Jairus, you're not going to forget him, came up and asked him to come and heal his daughter. And naturally, Jesus went with him. Could you imagine the relief on Jairus's, on Jairus's face? Could you imagine what he had felt when he found Jesus and he asked Jesus, come and heal my daughter? As a father, he's witnessing his daughter dying. He's witnessing, he's like, he knows she hasn't got long to live. And now that he's found Jesus, he's in the relief saying, yes, I'm so glad that he's going to come with me and heal my daughter. As Jesus passes through the crowd, as the story describes, he's passing through the crowds and someone touches him. And he knows that it's just not a normal push from the crowd, but like the power has gone out of him. And he turns round, and it was this lady who's been suffering for 12 years from bleeding. And he goes and he spends time with this lady who's been suffering 12 years. 
But imagine what Jairus is thinking. On the other side, he's thinking, well, Jesus, you were going to come with me because my daughter is dying. He's probably thinking, this lady can survive another day. She's been ill for 12 years. Another day or two, she's going to be okay. But my daughter is going to die. He's going in many ways, Jairus, is going through a roller coaster of emotions. He, he's, he started off with knowing his daughter's going to die. Then he's found Jesus and he, he believes that she's, he's going to be well again. He's like all happy and joyful. And then he's gone back to saying, Jesus, come on, we need to go. Jesus, you know, he's probably standing there, probably maybe not even saying anything to Jesus, because the Bible doesn't say he says anything to Jesus, but he's probably like biting his nails thinking, come on, Jesus, how long are you going to be with this lady? She can survive another day or two. She's lived with this for 12 years. What is a day going to make? But my daughter, who is 12 years old, another day could be death. And as all this happens, someone comes to Jairus and says, she's died. What a... You must be thinking and feeling at this moment. Maybe he's starting to get a bit frustrated at Jesus. Jesus, only if you had come. But Jesus still goes with him uh, to uh, his daughter's house. And he sees people wailing. He sees people crying. And he's walking through that saying, why are you guys wailing and crying? And it says that he goes with his disciples and with the mother and father into the room. See, this is an interesting point because I wonder why he just went with them. Maybe he didn't want the negative people. Maybe he, he thought, well, there's not enough faith here. I don't know. But there was a reason behind that he wanted just himself, his, the mother and father, and some of his disciples. And he goes in as the story goes through. And he says to the young child... Get up. And the child rose up. At this point, she was dead. Imagine what's going on. See, for this story is a thing that Jesus was never in a hurry. He was never, although the people around him, the mother and the father, the crowd, other people, they're in a state of hurry, in a state of rush, a state of panic. But Jesus was never in a hurry, for he had understanding in who his father God was, and he had faith in who God was. You notice that Jesus, he still goes to the daughter and heals her, but he didn't do it on the time of the father and mother. You could look at Jesus and say, well, Jesus, why did you just not come back to that other lady? You could have just put uh, the father and mother and the family at peace straight away by going to healing. But Jesus didn't want to do it that way. Someone once asked to describe Jesus in one word, and they said this, relaxed. Can you imagine a stressed out Jesus? He's saying to his disciples, hurry up and just get your sandals on. You always take so long to get your sandals on, to get out the door. Always saying to Peter, Peter, why do I have to keep on teaching you the same things three times? One time, two times, three times, I tell you all the same things. You know, can you imagine a stressed out Jesus? It just wouldn't work. 
But Jesus, he was so relaxed that he was not in a hurry because his life was rooted in a relationship and faith in the Father God. He did not, he did not trust himself in his physical, uh, in his physical human being. Because if it was Jesus' physical human being that would heal that lady, I think he would have, uh, the, ba- the child, I think he would have rushed to the daughter. He would have said, well, I've got to go because she is going to die. She's going to die. I've got to get through these crowds. I've got to go quickly, quickly, because if I don't get there quick enough, uh, something's going to happen. But Jesus is not like that. Because he has dependency upon Father God. He has a faith. He has an understanding of who God is. How many of us live in a life of hurry, a state of panic, because we feel it's reliant upon us rather than God? See, this is what we call in many ways hurry sickness. I've got two definitions for you. In the dictionary.com, dictionary.com, a behavior pattern characterized by the continual rushing and anxiousness. Has anyone faced that? I have. Yeah, whew. Uh, psychology, psychology today, psychology today, a malali, how do you say that word? Malice, thanks. Which a person feels chronically short of time, tends to perform every task faster to get flustered when encountering any kind of today, delay. See, this is like life in the fast lane. See, God never called us to live at 100 miles an hour, but at 70 miles an hour, if I put this analogy of the motorway in a picture in your mind. See, if we go at 100 miles an hour, it is dangerous. It is dangerous. Has anyone ever driven at 100 miles an hour? You don't need to answer this. I'm not going to answer this. It's safe not to say anything sometimes. But when you drive at 100 miles an hour, it is more dangerous And it's more likely, if you have an accident, that it won't turn out too well for you. Uh, But the positive side of 100 miles an hour, potentially, you could get there quicker. But the negative side is, you don't get there. That's what you've got to weigh up. And it happens in our, in our life as well. See, we can do life in a hurry and a rush, a panic. I need to do this now. I need to get to that girl because she's going to die. Oh, I need to go to this place, this person. Now, we do life 100 miles an hour. The positive is we will get there quicker. The negative, potentially, you could have burnout. Potentially, it could affect your relationship with God. It could potentially stop you doing the things that you feel is important. It could affect you spiritually. But the the same could go uh, on the opposite side, going too slow. Many of you in this room know that my brother-in-law is a police officer, works with Dorset Police, Armed Police. And he said one of the biggest uh, causes of accidents is actually slow drivers. On the motorway, if you're going 50 miles an hour and you should be going 70, you're, going to have prob- you're more likely to have an accident. He actually said it's safer to go at 80 than it is to go at 50. Because we all expect people to be going 70. And we're like, so actually, slowness can be dangerous as well. 
Lethargicness in our life can be dangerous. So we're not called to go really fast or really slow, but in many ways we're called to go 70 miles an hour at a good pace that Jesus sets. See, each one of us in this room, we all have giftings that God has given to us. You have a passion for certain things uh, embraced around the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God never called us to execute any of these things in a state of hurry, in a state of panic, in a state of rush. But as a culture around us, we see that time is money. We might not see it, but this is what is spoken into us through TV and workplaces. Or we see that the more quicker you do something, the more you get out of life. The more you do, the better person people see you as. I can have it now, so I want it now. See, these are all lies from the worldly culture. These are all lies from Satan. We need to be effective in everything God has called us to be and to do. We need to eliminate hurry from our lives. See, Jesus, he was present to the moment He was present to Father God. He was present to the people around him. He was present to the beauty around him of all creation. He was present to the moment. And we need to match our lives to Jesus' life. See, I think of it like this. We need to walk with God. We don't need to run. We don't need to sprint. We don't need to be lethargic either, the opposite. We just need to walk with God. And this goes back to the, the garden of Eden when Abraham, uh, Abraham, Adam and Eve, it says in the Bible, they are walking with God. And they're seeing all the beauty. They're there with God. They're, they're enjoying uh, the fruit. Well, most of the fruit, the right fruit. But they are at the beginning. They're enjoying the correct fruit. You know, they're enjoying life because they're walking with God. They're with God, enjoying the people and the things that they can see. See, we think about the Lazarus story, John chapter 11. Do you know Lazarus, uh, Mary and Martha, they come to Jesus and say, our brother is dying. And Jesus loved their brother. Jesus knew Mary and Martha really well. And from uh, telling Jesus to Lazarus, coming to Jesus, was four days he was dead for. See, Jesus didn't think, I've got to go, I've got to go, I've got to go. He was like, no, no, at this moment in time, I'm here And God's called me here, Father God for Jesus has called me here. So therefore, I will go at the right time. See, if we are hurried, we are stressed, busy, full of anxiety, and we are going to be less effective disciples. We're going to be spending less time with our church family. We're less likely to enjoy eating and drinking together. We're less likely to stop investing in relationships. We less likely do the things that are important to us. See, I want to give you two thoughts around this. Just two thoughts. There could be so much more, but just two thoughts to kick us off with. And we might talk about some later on in the year as well. The first one is about busy or busy body. Have you ever said, I'm too busy, I cannot do that? I know I have. Do you want to meet up? I'll do that. Uh, Yeah, yeah, let's meet up. Look at your diary. Two months' time. 
I really want to do this, but I'm just too busy at the moment. Or, or it's a social norm. If someone says to you, well, how's your week? You would say, I've been really busy. It's like a normal thing to do. It's like if we don't say that we've been busy, there's something wrong with us. But actually, it's okay to say, I've had a great weekend. I've just been relaxing. I did this, I did this. I spent time going for a walk, spent time with my family. And if we said that to someone, we feel in ourselves that that person's condemning us. I've done something wrong. So we fit to actually, I've been really busy. And then we think, oh, busy is spending time with family, is spending time resting. Well, that's not busy, is it? Are you a busy or busy body? If you're busy, what are you busy doing? I just want to give you a brief history of the clock. So, the clock was invented by the monks in the 6th century by Saint Benedict. He invented it so that they could pray seven times a day. They wanted to pray over a routine. They wanted to have fixed times. So instead of just looking at the sun, they thought, well, we've now got a clock that actually we can say we pray at this time, this time, this time. Whatever those times was, I'm not sure, but like 7 a.m., 10 a.m., 12, whatever those times are, we can wake up and we can govern our prayer times to exact same time and have a routine and schedule. So ironically, the clock time in many ways that we know today through our watches etc was invented by the monks but in 1307 the first public clock was in Cologne and it was outside a monastery see this was a massive turning point because no longer that the people in that area and going further afield that they governed their whole time from when the sun came up and went down uh, they governed their time through the seasons that's why you get in the bible a lot about seasons because that's their whole time was governed through night and day and through seasons but now they could have a time the next big one uh, was edison you're thinking, why has Edison got to do with time? Because Edison created the light bulb. And light bulb mean that you could artificially create light on a consistently and a, a, a more long-term way so that you could have light in your house and in your bedroom. The average person before Edison uh, slept for around 11 hours. Today, the average person in the UK sleeps around for six hours. That's Thomas Edison's fault basically, because before, if you saw, if the sun went down, you went to bed. But Thomas Edison gave us the light bulb, and now we can, you know, sun goes down, turn the light on, I'll spend another couple of hours. So we don't do that anymore. So it's like drastically changed from 11 hours to around, I know I get about six hours of sleep a night, about six hours a night. The next one was the dishwasher. And the dishwasher is really important time for our time because um, the dishwasher is the time of gadgets that make our life easier. So we've got the dishwasher, the telephone, the toaster, the electric kettle, etc. See, these all gadgets were invented so you could spend less time doing boring, mundane stuff and more time for yourself more time to do your own leisure activities. So no longer I need to spend 30, 40 minutes washing up, sticking the dishwasher takes me two minutes, emptying takes two minutes, let it do itself. 
So it created this thing of actually, I've got more time for myself. I don't need to boil some water over a stove. I've got a kettle. Don't need to put any bread under a grill. I've got a toaster. You know, these gadgets were made to save us time so we can have more time for ourselves. And actually, in the 1960s, experts predicted that we would work less and have more time to our own stuff, what we wanted to do post the... Um, post the 2000s. But this hasn't happened because they predicted we have so many gadgets that we, would need, we wouldn't need to work as much. So I think there was a, there was a, um, there was a report that went round and it said basically in the 90s they predicted that today the average person will work only 21 hours a week because of all these gadgets. Have come. That has not happened. It's gone the opposite way. Because the gadgets has called us to make more gadgets, and basically we're working even harder, uh, not just physical work where we get paid work, but all the other kinds of work that we do. The 28th of August, 1994, is a significant moment in terms of time and clock. Does anyone know why? Basically, in the UK, this was the first day that shops could legally open on a Sunday. So the funniest thing was, do you know uh, M&S and Waitrose both actively opposed it. Today, they're very happy about it. But this changed our way, because before that time, people worked for six days, and they were forced or made to rest. You couldn't think, I haven't got this, or I haven't got that, and go. But now, a Sunday is just like any other day, really. So that people were subject to rest, to work for six, rest for one, but it changed the way we see how we do our work in week because people are told they've got to work Sundays now. They're told that it's okay to go and shop. Uh, you know, and, but, but the thing was, it changed the way we did our, our time, our things. That's a significant part of the history of the clock. And then 2007. 2007 is, will be known or is known as the digital age. This is where we get Facebook, iPhone, Twitter. They all started in 2007. So how we interact with the world. You know, I've got friends in South Africa. They could phone me right now. You know, post before 2007, it would have been much harder. I could get a phone call in my pocket. You can get a phone call. You know, and there's positives to this, but there's also negatives, isn't there? There's that thing of it. And actually, but these are significant things. You know, but it all started with the monks, basically. Ironically, they started... But for over centuries, we have tried to create more ways to achieve things quicker so I can have more time for myself and to do things I want to do. But the reality, it hasn't worked out like that. We've created technology and it's become more addictive and we've become more occupied with it. The question is, is what are we busy doing? I've been busy at work or been busy watching TV bot sets, or busy just doing busy stuff, you know? I like to be busy doing busy stuff. I wonder, have you ever broken up your day and think, what have I even done with my day in the whole week? What have I done? Or what do I need to do? Or what is, the other way to put it, what is God calling me to do? I remember having a conversation with someone and they said, oh, I'm just, just flat out busy at work. Busy, busy, busy. And I've been, I said, oh, is that, just a, is that a normal week? He said, yeah, it's a normal week. Do it for months, even years, just busy. I'm just constantly working, working, working. I said to them, why don't you change your job? 
If your job is doing that to you, no, I can't because I need to, so, so you need to earn money. So, so then it becomes a faith thing, does it? Because your job is not your everything. People sometimes struggle to take away the job. I'll take away everything else, but I can't take away my job. And, you know, different people have different things on this, but you've got to pray about it 100%. But if, that, if you're a slave to your work, there's an issue. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, it's good to be busy doing God's work. But not in a hurry, by the way. 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 11 says this. For we hear that some among you are walking in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. See, is my busyness an obstacle to my spiritual growth? Or is it a catalyst for my spiritual growth? See, I think Jesus, he was busy. He was doing stuff, but he wasn't in a hurry. He wasn't in a state of panic and fear. He wasn't any of those things, but he was doing the things God has called him to do. He was meeting people's needs. He was going up to the mountain. You could say that's quite a busy life in many ways. You know, those three years of ministry, it shows quite a busy time, but he was never in a hurry or rush or state of panic. He wasn't a busy body doing idleness and doing things that are not really that busy but look busy. Another way to put it, is my busyness an obstacle to a healthy me? Or is it a catalyst to a healthy me? Is my busyness an obstacle to a healthy me or catalyst to a healthy me? See, God calls us not to be idle, but busy doing the things he's called to do. Busy doing the things of relationship, of family, of community, of church. Busy doing the things of work and stuff like that. But he's not called us to do it in a state of hurry. And it's going to affect our physical and our spiritual and emotional health. Just got a question for you. Have you got a balanced life? And that might call you to change your priorities. To change your workplaces. To change your lifestyle. Because God is for you and does not want you to burn out and to suffer. See, I have this thing and it's like this. Restore daily, rest weekly, and retreat monthly. You might have your own thing and that's cool. This is mine. So restore daily. I want to, every day I want to spend time with God to restore myself spiritually. Whether that's reading the Bible or praying or listening to a sermon or just going for a walk or having a conversation with someone about Jesus. I'm restoring myself daily. I'm resting weekly. I want to take a Sabbath. But a Sabbath is very different. It doesn't have to be a Sunday. But it's a day where I look to spend time with God and in many ways, do things that energize me. I do six, six days a week, I do things that's often that are not energizing me and they're actually taking stuff out of me, but I want to do something that energizes me. So it might be for me, it's going for a walk. It might be for you, spending time in a coffee shop with your friends because that energizes you and it looks very different, but you need a day where you're energizing yourself. It doesn't mean you sit down and be lazy. It means that you do stuff that energizes you. Spending time with my family energizes me. So a day off, a Sabbath, going a whole day with my family for a walk, that energizes me. The other one is retreat monthly. Every, retreat means withdraw from the enemy forces. Every month I try to take myself and go to a different place than my normal day-to-day life. I spend with time with God and I look at my month gone past and going forwards. I won't say that I'm perfect at this, 
but it's something I'm trying to work out in my life. I'm nowhere near perfect. But I want to put this into practice because I realize a healthy me is a healthy life and a healthy, uh, well, it's a long-term me. The other one is, which we'll quickly run through, is controlled and empowered. This is quite a big one. Are you controlling your own life or other people or other things? Did you know that family and friends, people, church people, can control you? Or your work or TV bot sex. This can all control your time. And I have nothing against all these things, obviously. But they can control you instead of empower you. I wonder, do you have anything that controls you? See, we can easily be controlled by other people and other things uh, and the luxuries in this life. And we could become enslaved. And it's not purposely by other people. It's not purposely by watching a TV box set and then you quickly get through it. I've done it. You know, I've binged on TV box sets before. When I was at university, well, Moorlands, which is a university, I watched 24 hours in 24 hours. Well, it's because 40 minute episodes, so it's less than that, it's like 18 hours. But I've binged on it. And if I did that all the time, that's controlling my time in many ways. How do you know if you're controlled by others? Here are a few examples. Your boss. Your boss says to you, can you stay after work? And he doesn't just say it once. He says it again and again and again. That's the thing. Becky had this this week. Her boss says to her, oh, tomorrow, could you stay an extra hour? We need you for an extra hour. And you think in her type of world, you know, they do need people to look after people. They need you for an extra hour. And they said to her, could you take, time, you'll take the time in lieu? She's thinking to herself is that this year and last year, she did not take all her holiday because they couldn't give her all her holiday because they didn't have enough staff to cover her. And everyone across the department is like that. So she works up so much time in the loo that she never gets back. So it's, and it's the hardest thing to say to your boss, I'm not doing it. She had a good excuse. She's, I've got to go home and look after my children. You know, it's, that's a, it's, it's quite an easy excuse in many ways. But it's a hard thing to say, but it's through God's power and God's strength to say to your boss, no, I'm not letting you control me. This is happening again and again and again. I don't get my time in loo. I'm going to stand up and say, well, I can't do it. I'm not, it's not in my hours. So your boss can easily control you even though they don't have the wrong motives. They're not evil people, but they can control you. Family and friends. I know it sounds awful, but in many ways, your family and friends can control you. I need you at this time. And if there's an emergency, because we love people, we will drop everything and we will go. And that's right if there's an emergency. But when it's happening time and time again, your family and your friends, I've experienced this from my own life, you can become controlled by someone else. And the thing is, when you're controlled by someone else, it affects your life and it affects other people's lives. And if it's an ongoing thing where they're constantly saying, could you just do this for me? Could you just do this for me? You know, oh, I need you again this week, this week, this week. Our role changes from saying, actually, I'm going to help you, to say, I want to help you manage your life better. I want to empower you to do the things God has called you to do. I want to empower you at work. I want to empower you for all these things. You know, instead of saying, I will just be, in many ways, enslaved by you. 
See, this all affects us having a hurry, busy life. Because if we're not, if we've got to be empowered by people instead of controlled. I wonder if Jesus, if Jesus was controlled by Mary and Martha and on Lazarus' story. He would have said, I've got to go quickly because Mary and Martha have called me. I love Mary and Martha. I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got to go. But then he, but he was meant to stay with them for four days. See, there's the difference between controlled and empowered. See, we, only, we have the ability to affect our own lives, to set the pace, set the schedule. But the thing of hurry, it can kill your soul. See, Jesus says in John chapter 10, 10, he says this, I have come so you will have, might have life and life in the fullness. Jesus desires for you to have your life to the fullness. He doesn't want you to live in the fast lane. He doesn't want you to be a busy body. He doesn't want you to be controlled by others. But he wants you to have the life that you're enjoying every moment that you're present, that you're here right now, present to him, present to the people. And you're just loving life. But the thing is with it, Jesus might have said, I've come to give you life but you've got to choose if you want to change your life to fit in with his pace he did everything he was called to do he went and healed the people he raised Lazarus he raised the daughter to the he did all he did it all but it was at a pace Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 come to me all who are weary and burdened I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The message translation puts it like this. Are you tired, worn out, burdened out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. There's words of walk again. And work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with you and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. It's this whole thing of you're walking with God. You're working with God. You've learned the unforced rhythms. Rhythms is a pace of life so that you can do everything and be everything God has called you to do. That you are, you're not being controlled by people, but you'll be with people that are empowering you. You're not letting the world, you're not letting things like TV bot sets or, or gadgets control you. You're not letting uh, even friends and family control you. But you're not saying you're not loving them. Of course we are, but actually we want to live at a good pace of hurry that I don't burn out but I can carry on going for years to come so I can keep on blessing and being with people and so that I can have his life see when you I want to end by this point when you intentionally create space God will fill it see what we do in our lives we fill it with good things our life we fill it with a family with a friends with work with holidays with going for walks we fill it with really good things and then we say to God I don't feel your presence anymore. God, I don't hear you speaking to anymore because we've left no space for God because we're rushing around trying to deal with all these friends and family and work and you know, these, all these things could be such good things but they feel in many ways a rush and negative but actually they could, they're meant to be positives, but because we're doing it in such a hurry and a rush, we're not enjoying it. Has anyone ever felt that? 
because we're in a state of hurry, we're not enjoying it. And we know there should be good things. But the thing is, we need to slow down and work out what is my day? What's important to me? We need to think about, am I being controlled by anything? How am I using my time? And in many ways, I know I'm just touching the surface for some of these things. But the heart behind it is that God wants us not to live in a state of rush and panic. He doesn't call us. You know, even the effect of that if Jesus was his principal, if someone texted you and said, I'm really ill and I need this. We would want to go. But what if Jesus was saying, no, no, you've got to be present with the people you are. Do that in three hours' time. That that is the reality. And are you willing to do that? Are you willing to say to someone, well, no, 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 I'm with my church family now. I'll come to you afterwards. Because that's what Jesus did. He went, he did still went and did it all, but actually he said, No, no, I'm 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 with this lady who's who's bleeding. Oh no, no, I'm with the people. I can't go to Lazarus at the moment. I'm still gonna go to him. But actually, I'm willing to say, This is where I am, because this is where God, I'm not gonna drop everything. It's there's not being controlled and empowered. And I'm gonna pray for us. Father God, you know how many of us feel in many ways tired and stressed out with life. We look at the things we do, we know they're meant to be good things, but they feel burdened things. And I pray that through your Holy Spirit, that you'll take away those, uh, well, you'll make those burdens light. Because that's what the scripture says, you'll make them light and free. Father, I pray you'll help us to trust and to have that faith in you, that it's not up to me. And I feel like that God wants to speak this to some people today. It's not up to you, it's up to me. Family, friends, your workplace, money, it's not up to you, it's up to me. Keep looking to me. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll be in this room and that you will touch each one of our lives. pray that you would heal us from any times that we've been controlled by people or things in our lives help us to put the right things in place to help other people to manage their lives better instead of putting the pressure and the rush and the hurry on us I pray Holy Spirit that you'll help each one of us to have a good pace and balance to life so that we'll be present and do the things that are important to us I pray you'll remind us this week, as we're going about our week, that there'll be times where we think, I just need to slow down. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.